Adina Marks Arpati is a doula and member of the New Orleans-based Birthmark Doula Collective. Adina talked to us about how doula care can be made accessible to people across backgrounds. Adina, could you briefly introduce yourself and maybe talk to us a little about what Birthmark Doula Collective is, what the organization does, and what its aims and goals are? Um, Yeah, so my name is Adina. I am a birth and postpartum doula, and as of the summer, I'm a certified lactation counselor as well. Um, And I am one of the member owners of Birthmark Doula Collective, which is a doula-owned collective in New Orleans. Um, We are 11 doulas. We were founded in 2011. um, And we offer birth doula and birth-related services. So postpartum doula care, uh, birth doula care, childbirth education, lactation support, support groups, Um, We do grand rounds for breastfeeding, um, support professionals in the community. We have a queer parenting project, and we have a birth violence toolkit that we're disseminating. Um, And a lot of what we do is around um, improving perinatal outcomes. We believe that everybody who wants a doula deserves a doula. So we have a sliding scale and a one-to-one program where folks who can't pay for doula services can still access them, while the doulas can also be compensated for their labor. Um, and we are a multiracial doula-owned cooperative, and we try to reflect the population of New Orleans in both who our doulas are as well as the clients that we serve. Um, And we understand that we must center the experiences of low-income birthing people and black folks uh, in order to address health disparities. So I was wondering if we could actually take a step back and talk a bit about what exactly a doula does. because, yeah, this researching for this podcast has been, of course, a lot of discovery about the fact that this type of care even exists. So could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so we are not medical professionals. We offer um, informational and emotional um, support and advocacy to pregnant and parenting people. Um, a lot of what we do is um, serve as a, a continuous support for people while they're in labor. A lot of times people are surprised to learn that their nurses and their OBs and doctors and even midwives won't be with them the whole time that they're given, giving birth. And so um, we are there throughout the labor and birthing process. Um, and we help uh, ensure that our clients are giving informed consent to what's happening to them. So a lot of our work is around making sure that um, people are actually choosing what's happening to their, to their bodies and their babies Um, that they're informed, that they feel empowered, that they feel in control of the process that's happening to them. Yeah, I could imagine that, you know, you're such a a vulnerable state, so much new happening, at least for first time, like birthing people, to have a support system there that seems very kind of outside of business as usual for, you know, the medical, the mainstream medical industry. I mean, I'm curious as to how mothers find doulas or how they find you. Like, what's the process of that? Yeah, so we, um, you know, we we promote ourselves. We, we have a social media presence. We do outreach. But we also have started collaborating and partnering with a lot of different organizations in New Orleans, um, including the Nurse Family Partnership, um, the New Orleans Family Justice Center. So they, we've 
we've really expanded our partnerships. And so we have working relationships with a lot of organizations in New Orleans. So maybe we could ask you a little about your story. Um, When and why did you decide to become a doula? And what was your training experience like? Um, So I did my doula training in 2011. I was in college. I was 20 years old. And I almost didn't go to my training because I thought that doulas were only people who've already had babies. Um, And I was 20 (laughs) and I hadn't. And so I was like, what am I doing here? Um, so I did my, I, I did go to my training and I did it in 2011 and I did my postpartum doula training in 2014. And then this past summer I became certified as a lactation counselor. Um, and the training that I did was here in New York. Um, I moved to New Orleans in, in 2014 and it was given by one of the, um, oldest and largest doula certifying organizations. And, I certainly learned a lot, um, but I also felt like it really catered to upper middle class white women. Um, There was, we, I just felt we weren't given tools to address disparities. We weren't talking about trauma. We weren't talking about poverty. We weren't talking about what birthing in these uh, situations really looks like. And, and we weren't given the tools to, to be good. I think be good doulas for women who are outside the norm of sort of white middle class um, heteronormative birthing people. That's a, I mean, that's a tremendous responsibility. It actually, and I mean, and one of our actually next questions was also like, what are these, are the like needs and services that you are providing that are distinctly different from a traditional medical professional? And what is like your relationship to the doctor or the nurse, like being this kind of third party who's neither the person experiencing the birth or the person technically administering the, the medical side? So where do you fit into that? Um, so we are not medical professionals at all. So we don't do blood pressure checks. We don't do, you know, pelvic exams. We don't do anything medical. Um, so that's the first main difference. And then I think the two other pieces are that we're independent. So we're hired by families directly. We don't work for midwives. We don't work for hospitals or clinics or anything. Um, and that we provide continuous support. Um, and so I think the independent piece is really important because we, our boss is our client, right? And so we don't have to uh, be held into hospital protocol. We don't have to worry about sort of um, the things that you might worry about if you're working within a, an institution and they're your employer. Um, we really just serve our clients. And so I think that's a really big piece of what we do is, is that we're independent and we work for, for families and not for a hospital or an institution, Um, And as I mentioned before, the continuous support is something that I think people are really surprised when they walk into a labor and delivery room that that their nurse or their doctor isn't there the whole time. Like the majority of the time that people are in labor, you know, nurses and and the care provider might come in and check on progress and sort of, you know, if they're on meds, look at the meds. But uh, for the most part, people are really on their own. And so a lot of the gap that we fill is being that continuous support and being in the room the whole time with families as they're giving birth. And you also mentioned too earlier that you're a postpartum doula, which seems to extend the term of care even longer. Can you talk about, more about like what what that role looks like? Yeah. So most of our, our typical birth doula services, we offer um, two to three prenatal visits and then one usually one to three postpartum visits. And for some families, particularly families who maybe don't have um, family around or single parents feel like when they get home, they're really on their own. 
They don't, most uh, care providers don't ask you to come back until about six weeks after the baby is born. So a lot of people have a baby, they get discharged from the hospital, you know, one, two, maybe three days after, and then they don't see any uh, medical provider or anybody until six weeks after. And so a lot of what postpartum doulas do is sort of fill in those gaps and help, um, you know, make sort of normalize that experience. It's a, it's a really hard thing to parent a newborn, especially when you've never done it before and especially without support. And so it might look like, you know, folding laundry or holding the baby so the parent can shower or, you know, picking up some groceries or, you know, that maybe there's some breastfeeding trouble. And so we might help with that or sort of refer out if it's something more serious um, and I think a lot of what we do is, you know, make referrals when it's appropriate, but also really normalize the fact that it's like a really difficult experience. And sometimes you just need somebody to tell you that it's, you're doing great, but that it's really hard and it won't be that way forever. No, it sounds, tr- I mean, I need, I need a postpartum doula. My therapist yeah. is my postpartum doula. Wow. That's such an like, intimate and incredible experience to have with someone to see them kind of go through this entire like life cycle. I mean, what is that like for you? I mean, I guess this is a, p- a bit of a personal question, but I, I can, I can't, I guess, I mean, I can't obviously imagine I've ever done it before, but having this like trans watching someone transform, um, and being part of that, like, what is that like on your end? It's pretty wild. the The first birth I ever went to was a home birth, and I remember leaving the birth and being like, "Wait, when I got here, there were two people in this family. Now there's, and now I'm walking out, and there's three people. Like, my mind is just blown. <laughs> like, the mass of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really intimate, and you really, um, you know, I think birth is a really vulnerable time for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so it's really, it's a really intimate time and a really, I think, special relationship. And also one that I think, um, you know, is important to have some boundaries around. We talk a lot about that as doulas. Um, you know, it's, it's work for us, right? It's not like a typical friendship, um, or a relationship. And so it's, yeah, it's a funny thing seeing this like really, really intimate, um, snapshot into somebody's life, but also, knowing that it's just this moment and they've had a life before and they'll have a life after. Um, but it's really amazing to be a part of people during this time. Yeah. What percentage, I mean, we don't need an exact number, but do you, do you oversee a lot of home births or is the majority of your time in the hospital? And maybe if you could, I mean, I would be curious to hear about some of the differences you experience between those two. Uh, most of the births that birthmark does, uh, take place in hospitals. And I think, um, I think the, to me, the biggest reason for that, I think, is that people start to realize at a certain point in their pregnancy and after after sort of meeting their medical team that they actually really need an advocate and need um, that sort of support. I think the home birth and midwifery, particularly the midwifery model of care that um, that's practiced by home birth midwives, I, th- I think is really different and people feel a lot more supported. Um, I think most of our births are in hospitals and I think people realize that at a certain, you kind of walk into a hospital and there's hospital protocol and and the staff, you know, works really hard, but also you're kind of one of many, many, many people who have done this. And so um, I think a lot of what we do is um, kind of disrupt the sort of conveyor belt feeling that a lot of people have when they walk into a labor and delivery room um, and make sure that people 
have information, that they're actually giving informed consent. I think that's a really big part of what we do um, is, you know, make sure that people are actually consenting to the fact that somebody is touching their bodies, right? That's like a, such a big deal and also something that is like so easily forgotten in the middle of a birth. And so um, a, lot of, a lot of our role and our advocacy, I think, is most needed in hospitals. Yeah, do you feel that um, that you're really running into situations where you have to kind of halt what's going on and, like, bring up the issue of consent? I mean, I'm really curious about what that looks like, especially with all the potential pharmaceutical interventions, like whether it's Pitocin, whether it's a C-section. This, If you could talk a little more about that, we would love to hear that. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot um, within Birthmark is how to navigate a situation where, you know, your client basically loses control of what's happening to her body. Um, Because I think, you know, we, doctors can kick us out, you know, the medical staff can kick us out of a birthing room, and we certainly don't want to do that. Um, I don't think any of us are are intentionally antagonistic to medical care providers. Um, I, for one, never want to make my client feel unsafe and, and plant doubt in their mind about their care provider. I don't think that's like a good way to, to, that's not supportive of my client. Um, but I do want to make sure that, that they're informed about what's happening and that they know the reality of, you know, of kind of what they're, what they're looking at. And so, um, you know, most of our role is really just, like I said before, just being by our client. Um, it's not about fighting doctors. It's not about fighting nurses. It's not about fighting with the care staff. It's really sort of centering the birthing person in that experience. And so, you know, that sometimes means that I like actually interact very little with the medical staff because my focus is on my client and making sure that she's comfortable, that they have what they need, that um, if they have any questions about what's happening to them, that they are getting answers if, you know, that they feel empowered to ask their provider. Um, But it can be a really, really hard thing when, you know, when control is taken from, from our clients and, navigating how to sort of give it, how to sort of like center our clients and kind of give that back is, is really challenging. Um, but I, confrontation hasn't really <laughs> worked, I think, for most of us. But, at, you know, being vocal and advocating, um, but not being confrontational. So you mentioned earlier about your, your training and the sort of, I guess, doula world that you were first introduced to was a very like white, upper middle class you know, doula scene, I guess, if, I don't, can I call it a scene? Yeah, it's a scene. <laughs> um, and it seems, you know, the work, the work that um, Birthmark is doing uh, is really trying to make um, this type of care um, accessible to, to people across economic backgrounds, across uh, racial and ethnic dimensions. And I'm, I'm just curious to hear more. I mean, I can imagine that like all other types of care in like a class and like racially segregated society can kind of manifest like, you know, dual care can kind of man- manifest in these like tears or what have you. I mean, I was curious, like who has access to doula care ultimately? Like, um, you know, I know that recently the New York State Health Department has started to pilot some programs to uh, get doula care covered by Medicaid, but you know, what does state policy and private industry have to do in this whole who gets access to this amazing, um, necessary, I think, um, quality of care? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in general, insurance does not cover doulas. Um, so what that usually means is that clients pay out of pocket. 
Um, and that's a huge, huge barrier for, for many, many people. Um, at Birthmark, we make sure that uh, clients have access and also that doulas get paid. And so what that looks like for us is that um, we, ha- we offer sliding scale service. So we, you know, we have our fee and then we also ask families what they can afford to pay. Um, and we have a one-to-one program. So for, we try to you know, match paying clients with sliding scale or, or volunteer births so that some of our paying clients are also sort of offsetting the cost of, of um, you know, clients who can't access our services financially. Um, but I think it, it's a huge, access does, is a really huge problem. And I think you're asking about Medicaid coverage. Um, so that, I had to do a little bit of research about that before I came here. But um, there are two states that cover, that where Medicaid covers dual services, um, two other states, Oregon and Minnesota. Um, and so Minnesota has done some research about the outcomes of covering doula care, of Medicaid covering doula care. Um, one of the things that I think was really striking to me, um, was that in addition to lower C-section rates, uh, families who, uh, had a doula services covered by Medicaid reduced the risk of premature birth among Medicaid recipients by 22%. Um, and that's, you know, preterm birth is really the driving factor behind the racial disparity in infant outcomes. And so, that to me was a really striking statistic that when given this kind of support um, and when there wasn't a financial barrier to accessing it, that um, premature birth rates dropped by 22%. Um, one of, I think, the, the challenges around Medicaid coverage is that it reimburses at such a low rate that it's, you know, it's almost impossible for, any, for this to be sustainable. And that's something that we talk about all the time at Birthmark is how to make this sustainable. Um, and particularly when you're thinking about, you know, cultural competency and having doulas look like the, the clients that they're serving, um, that the low reimbursement rates really just kind of exacerbates existing economic disparities and, and sort of perpetuates women of color being paid less for the same work that white women and, you know, are, are doing. And so, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's a really, cha- you know, I think it's, it's very well documented or it's becoming really well documented what doula support can do for outcomes. But I think, um, you know, we as a society need to figure out how to compensate people for, for this type of care. Um, the other barrier that I was reading about is that um, initially doula services needed to be under clinical supervision of a licensed clinician, which I think in a lot of ways really takes away from the independence and autonomy that doulas have that's so important. We're wondering if you could maybe share your thoughts on how pregnancy and birth are narrativized and understood in the U.S., as there's clearly a lot of kind of vast misconceptions about what birth is, could be, or should be, even just in the understandings of, like, young women who might potentially have children, like, very simple, factual discrepancies and errors. And so we're wondering, I mean, A, what's the state of things, and B, in what way could that narrative be shifted both from a macro policy point of view, but also from an interper- on an interpersonal level? Um, I think one thing on an interpersonal level is just that we need to talk about birth. Like it's just not something that people really talk about that much. Um, when I was an undergrad, I wrote my thesis about religion and childbirth and I interviewed people about sort of their birth and meaning making experiences and one of the things that was so striking to me was just how much 
people were sharing. Like I would be late from one interview to the next because like I couldn't get people to stop talking. Um, so I think that there's sort of a real hunger for for sharing birth stories. It's such a major event. Um, it's traumatic for some people. It's violent for some people, but it's also like really intense and beautiful and meaningful and spiritual for a lot of other people. And so I think just sort of like normalizing birth and talking about birth is and sharing birth stories in a way that's not like the sort of policing of like, oh, you shouldn't drink alcohol. You know, the, the way that, that we talk about birth, I think, is like a little bit policing sometimes. And so having really honest conversations about what birth looks like, I think, is really important. 